So we say as a church that we are a gospel-centered church, and part of what that means to us is that we believe as a people we need to repent, and we also believe as a people that we need to call others to repentance. And so the question we have to ask, of course, is that we say we believe this in our heads, but is this something that we live out on a daily basis? It's a difficult thing, right? Repentance. I think deep down, every one of us really doesn't like repentance very much. It's a difficult thing to do personally. It's a difficult thing to call others to. And uh, it's just a, it's this humbling, maybe sometimes even humiliating thing to us to do. Let's just, as an illustration, say uh, repenting is as simple as saying sorry to someone. How are you at saying sorry to people? Uh, let me give an illustration from my own life. Uh, and I'm saying this in front of my children, at least two out of the three of them, so they may uh, have to hold me accountable and also be amused by an inside scoop that they don't know about. So apologizing to our children in our family is a high value. It's a high value because my wife and I believe it is an important demonstration to our children to recognize our brokenness, to recognize our need for Jesus, to recognize how our brokenness affects our children, to recognize how our brokenness, my wife and I, can, our brokenness can, can create a disconnection between um, us and our children, uh, to demonstrate the importance of reestablishing that connection between us and our children, and important to let them know how we have in our actions, in our words, in our thoughts, have wronged them or hurt them, and, um, and of course, just to demonstrate our need for forgiveness from Jesus and their need for forgiveness from Jesus as well. So this is something, theoretically, we place a high value on. Recently, Amber read an article about parenting that um, really made the point that it's very easy in parenting to subtly guilt and shame our children in ways that we don't really even intend to and in ways in which we wouldn't like to admit um, how essentially our need for saying sorry to our children is probably even greater than we'd like to recognize and admit. I was particularly uncomfortable with this article and this idea because I'd like to think that we as parents are good at saying sorry to our children. Again, it's a high value in our home. And so, in God's great irony, not long after this discussion, I lost my temper with the kids and said a few sharp words and unnecessary words and raised my voice and my wife, you know, after the kids went off because they clearly felt disconnected from me, um, my wife pointed out, like, was that really necessary the way you said that? And of course I was frustrated and angry at myself and, and at having been exposed. You're right. You know, that feeling like, oh, you're right. Like, hate that you're right. And, uh, and so I know I have to go apologize. So really, the kids were downstairs, so I'm, I'm essentially like, oh, fine, I'll go apologize. You know, like just stomping off, pouting, throwing a little tantrum as I go downstairs, theoretically, to apologize nicely to my children. And my wife, in her kind and chiding way, just kind of laughs at me like, you're just throwing a little childish tantrum right now as you go apologize. It's, Kind of ridiculous, isn't it? And I'm like, oh, I know it is. It's just hard, right? Being honest with our brokenness and the way it affects people, trying to dig at deeper levels of it to be able to say sorry for 
the things that we've done that hurt others is just difficult. It hurts our pride, it's humbling, it's sometimes humiliating. And we're gonna, we're gonna look at what does this mean uh, to repent? And it's one of those words that doesn't resonate very well in contemporary culture. I don't know, I feel like when you say the word repent, it conjures up images of the crazy street preacher calling people to repent. And we often think about it in that way. And so we're going to look at what, what does scripture say about repentance. Now, I have this fear for today's sermon that it will essentially be the most boring sermon ever told. And the reason why is uh, I'm really just going to go through a lot of scriptures and ask us some questions, make some points out of those scriptures, make a quick point and ask us some questions. I fear for some of you, if you've been a Christian for a long time, you're going to th- feel like, oh, I already know this stuff. I'm, I'm all about repentance. I'm good. And I hope that you engage your hearts and that you would allow God to speak into your hearts about how you need to rethink um, repentance. So we're literally going to walk through Scripture and see what Scripture says about repentance, looking at some key texts. So we're going to start in Deuteronomy. Uh, so a little bit of context about this text in Deuteronomy 30. Uh, God has reaffirmed his covenant, his commands to his people through Moses uh, as they are preparing to enter the promised land and as the leadership role is going to be handed over to Joshua because Moses cannot enter into the promised land with Israel. And so God says this, when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you today, with all your heart and with all your soul, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you, and he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. I just want to make this simple point. I'm going to make a simple point about each text. Repentance is returning to God in obedience with the promise of God's mercy. Repentance is returning to God in obedience with the promise of God's mercy. And the simple question I want to ask you, do you need to return to God in obedience? I will not make any assumptions about knowing where you are at with the Lord. Do you need to return to God in obedience, trusting the mercy that he has promised? Okay, we're going to keep moving quickly. We're going to move to Ezekiel here. And the context for Ezekiel is that Israel has turned so far away from God that God um, has allowed Babylon to take over Israel, and many Israelites were exiled into Babylon. And God says this in Ezekiel 14, Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, repent and turn away from your idols and turn away your faces from all your abominations for any one of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn in Israel who separates himself from me taking his idols into his heart and putting the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and yet comes to a prophet to consult me through him, I, the Lord, will answer him myself. The point I want to make from this text is repentance is turning away from false sources of life and meaning. Repentance is turning away from false sources of life and meaning. What about you? Do you need to turn away from false sources sources of life and meaning that have become more important to you than your relationship with God. Let's keep going. Um, Another text in Ezekiel. Because he considered and turned away from all the transgressions that he has committed, he shall surely live, he shall not die. Yet the house of Israel says, 
The way of the Lord is not just, O house of Israel. Are my ways not just? Is it not your ways that are not just? I just want to pause here for a moment. It, it, this is what we do, right? We hold ourselves as judge over God's ways. And we say, God, you're not very just, are you? And God says, uh, really? Who's the one who's unjust here? And as we look at our world around us, we have to recognize that our human sense of justice is certainly broken. But he continues, therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, declares the Lord. Repent and turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure of death of anyone, declares the Lord. So turn and live. So the point I want to make out of this text is repentance is turning from death to life. Repentance is turning from death to life. And the question I want to ask you is, do you believe that repentance and following God truly is leads to life and that following sin leads to death? Do you truly believe that following God leads to life and following sin leads to death? So we're going to move on to the New Testament. And the New Testament actually has almost, if you just do a word search, an exact uh, reference of the word repent or repentance, there's almost twice as many uh, references to the word repent or repentance in the New Testament compared to the Old Testament. But really, the Old Testament, although does not use the word repent and repentance as much as the New Testament does, it is really just woven throughout the covenant between God um, and his people. But let's see what the New Testament has to say. Jesus starts his ministry Uh, with this very word as he claims to be the promised Messiah. And he says in Mark 1, verses 14 and 15, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. The simple point I want to make about this is repentance is trusting and believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Repentance is trusting in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, not wanting to make any assumptions about any of you in here. Do you trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Not just believe in your head as, well, I think that's the right thing. I think that's my worldview. Do you trust with your being that the gospel of Jesus Christ is what saves us? Is humanity's only hope for restoration with God for restoration of his creation, a restoration of us as how we were created to be. Do you trust in that good news of Jesus? Jesus continues um, in his ministry, and I'm going to read from Luke 15 here, and Jesus is responding to criticism from Pharisees that he is hanging out with sinners, and Jesus tells a series of three parables about things that were lost but then were found. And he says this, and he he tells those to describe what the gospel is. So Luke 15, verses 6 and 7 say this, And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. The point I want to make from this is this. Repentance is being found by God with much joy. Repentance is being found by God with much joy. Do you know 
and experience the joy that God has for finding you in your repentance? Do you know and experience the joy that God has for finding you in your repentance? Do you know and experience the value that God has for you, just as this parable describes? But let's take a look at the end of Luke. And this, this uh, text comes after Jesus' resurrection. He's walking on the road to Emmaus with two of his disciples who don't recognize him at this point, but he goes on to describe how he, Jesus, is the fulfillment of everything in Scripture. And he, he's uh, describing the purpose of his work. Verse 44, uh, chapter 24. Then, he, then Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. The point I want to make from this is this, that repentance brings forgiveness for sins and it's needed by all. Repentance brings forgiveness for sins and is needed by all. Do you believe that your sins are forgiven? Or do you spend a lot of your time, even after going through a confession of sin, taking communion later, do you struggle with beating yourself up for not forgiving yourself in the way that God has already forgiven you? Do you believe your sins are forgiven once and for all? Do you believe that everyone in the world needs this same forgiveness from God through faith in Jesus Christ? That is what Jesus has declared in this text. Let's see what some of his apostles say. In Acts 2, you heard it read earlier, and the context is this. is Peter and the apostles are explaining the importance of Christ's work uh, to Jews in Jerusalem as they begin uh, the work of continuing Jesus' ministry as the early church and to spread the gospel far and wide. Chapter 2, verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We heard about forgiveness of sins already, so I want to bring out this point. Repentance brings union with God through the filling of the Holy Spirit. Repentance brings union with God through the filling of the Holy Spirit. Do you live like you are one with God because of your repentance? Do you live like you are one with God because of your repentance? That's the promise that God makes that comes with our repentance. At the end of Acts, Paul's near the end of his journeys and he's been uh, arrested, and he's having to give, uh, he has to testify uh, before King Agrippa and later others about why he's doing what he's doing. And he says this in Acts 26, verse 19 and 20, Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, then throughout the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. The point I want to draw out from this text is this. Repentance is turning to God 
and living for God. Repentance is turning to God and living for God. Just as Paul was demonstrating with his own life and what he was calling others to right here, that the repentance, what should follow from, what should follow from repentance is also a life that reflects that repentance, a life lived to please God. How about you? Do you continually turn to God and in response to the love that he first showed you, live a life worthy of the gospel, a life that reflects how your forgiveness has been purchased on the cross of Christ, on the cross by Christ? The apostles continue this, this, this proclamation, though. Paul writes in a letter to the Corinthian church as he's confronting their sin, and he says this in 2 Corinthians Chapter 7, verses 8 to 10. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you. Though only for a while, as it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved. The grief is about their sin being confronted. But because you were grieved into repenting, for you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So we see here that repentance involves godly grief that leads to salvation. Repentance involves godly grief for our sin that leads to salvation. How about you? Just like the illustration I shared in the beginning, when you know you have done wrong, are you filled with grief and sorrow for how you have hurt God, how you've hurt others, and how your sin may even have hurt yourself in the process. Do you believe that your repentance leads to salvation with God, leads to restoration with God? One last text. You guys are bearing with me. It's good. There's a lot of texts here. Peter, in his letters, he's speaking to a persecuted church, calling them to be faithful to God. 2 Peter uh, chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The point I want to draw out from this text is this. Repentance is something the patient God wishes for all. Repentance is something the patient God wishes, wishes for all. And the question I want to ask you is, assuming you've already come to faith, some of you may not have, but assuming you have, are you calling others to turn to God? Are you calling others to turn to God? My hope in going through all these texts was for you to see that repentance is far more multifaceted and we think of that crazy street corner preacher calling us to repentance. And so I'm just going to read all these points once more. Repentance is, is returning to God in obedience with the promise of God's mercy. Repentance is turning away from false sources of life and meaning. Repentance is turning from death to life. Repentance is trusting in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Reten repentance is being found by God with much joy. Repentance brings forgiveness of sins and is needed by all. Repentance brings union with God and a filling of the Holy Spirit. Repentance is turning to God and living for God. Repentance involves godly grief that leads to salvation. 
Repentance is something the patient God wants for all. That's a lot to take in, but my hope of your takeaway thought is this. Maybe even think of the song, turn, turn, turn. The birds, you all look kind of like, what? What is he talking about? Which is actually basically Ecclesiastes with like two extra lines that whoever wrote it came up with. But think turn, 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 three turns. Turn from your sin, turn to our gracious God, call others to turn to God. Turn from your sin, turn to our gracious God, call others to turn. I want to conclude with this story. I don't know if you've been tracking this, but I don't know why I've been gripped by this bit. I think you may know vaping or e-cigarettes are all the rage, right? And particularly with youth the last few years. Some high school students who were interviewed said, it's easier to find an e-cigarette on campus than it is to find a pen. Let that hit you. (laughs) It's easier to find an e-cigarette at school than it is to find a pen. And and, um, just some statistics, approximately 80% of e-cigarette users are, I'm sorry, of, of, Actually, I'm not going to quote these, these statistics. I, I, I use these statistics wrong, and I, I know we have all these statisticians in here, and they're going to call me out. <laughs> I just realized this. Okay, so I'm going to leave out the statistics. Um, recent news about vaping has fascinated me, and you, maybe, again, you haven't been tracking, but if you've not heard, uh, as of October 1st of this year, there have been 1,080 cases of lung injury um, as a result of vaping, and it it covers 48 states and one territory, and actually there's quite a concentration of cases in the Midwest as well. There's been 18 deaths uh, in 15 states, and the CDC says that it seems to be vaping of THC substances, a related products that is leading to these lung injury cases and and deaths even. Now, some investigative reporters um, believe that it is uh, essentially fake uh, vaping refills that have pesticides and oils in it, or the wrong oils in it, that are leading to these lung injury cases. CDC itself has not yet made conclusions, although they do say uh, they recommend refraining from all vaping, and and even particularly the ones that contain THC. Now, vaping has been marketed as less harmful and less addictive than cigarette smoking, and let's even assume that that is true, although that can be contested. In a broken world, even good things get twisted into bad things. And again, it appears that these these, uh, fake refills uh, of vaping products is, is the cause of these serious lung injuries and even death. Now, I know I'm not a vapor, and my dad was a chain smoker, so I've just really refused to smoke anything. Um, So it's easy for me to think this way. But it seems to me it's absolutely rational right now to stop vaping. No matter how much you like it, it just seems, okay, maybe I don't want to die, so let me wait for them to figure this out. But I am sure that out of the estimated 10 million vapors in the U.S., that a large number of them are still vaping despite um, the statistics. And maybe they, they don't believe the reports. Maybe they downplay the seriousness of these cases. Maybe they insist 
that they are using the right and proper sources and not these fake products. Maybe they say, oh, I only vape every now and then. Maybe they, they, um, maybe they even say, hey, I just can't live without it. I'm going to take the risk. They might try to rationalize it in some way, and yet, in the end, they are choosing to put themselves in danger for this fleeting pleasure of vaping. Vapors are having a hard time turning away from vaping and turning to something that is good and life-giving instead. And really, this is our relationship with sin. This is our relationship with sin. We resist turning from our brokenness. We rationalize away our brokenness, giving reasons for why we do certain things. We resist turning from our tendency to seek life in other things other than God. We, we resist our tendency to twist good things of God into bad things, making them more important than God himself. We, as, we resist allowing God to be the one who defines what is good and life-giving as Christians we may resist turning to God on a daily basis, seeing our need for it. Perhaps you are uh, someone who has not yet come to faith here, and you have been resisting for some time to resist to turn to the gracious God. All of us, in some way, shape, or form, we rationalize our choices and our behaviors. But Jesus says, turn, turn, turn. Turn from your sin. Turn to your gracious God. Turn and call others to also turn to the living God. Turn and choose life. Turn and offer the life of God to others. Turn to your relationship with Jesus, trusting that in that relationship is where you find life, ultimate life, ultimate meaning, and nowhere else. Turn, turn, turn. Let's pray.